Have you ever been targeted by many accusations? Has that been you, ever? Um, earlier this week, my wife and I, uh, we were in tears. We were in tears because another family in Southern California, much like our own, a husband named uh, a- Andrew Stokeling, who was uh, a pastor in his 30s, had a family, a-, a wife, and actually three little boys. Sounds pretty familiar if you know me at all. Their oldest child started kindergarten, so did ours. If you're not caught up, um, he died by suicide. Sorry. So Lord have mercy on this family. But one of the things that makes me really, really mad is the accusations that follow when somebody dies and people don't know them. That makes me really mad. It happens every time a public figure dies, it seems like. Um, I mean, John McCain is another public f- figure, right? I'm sure the accusations will follow. I haven't caught it. I have not paid attention to that. That has not been on my heart. I'm not making a political statement here. But everybody starts making that person a target of criticism. And so someone said to me, um, and I'm going to paraphrase this to protect this person from being publicly humiliated, which is what they deserve, but the gospel is telling me, nope, they don't deserve this in Christ. They're a brother. But a person actually said to me, a person who did not know this pastor, has never heard of him until three seconds ago, uh, said to me, I know why. I know why he did this to himself. It's because he didn't have good enough theology. Are you kidding me? How much do you have to hate a person? How much do you have to hate a family and your neighbor to say that in this moment at that time? That's so I bring this up as an example to say criticism is coming your way at some point in life. It may happen posthumously. It may happen after you die, actually, and your family's going to have to deal with it. (laughs) It's ridiculous. It's absurd. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're a nobody, you can be a somebody, you can be anybody, and you can become the target of accusations. We all feel it. It's the same in everyday life, not just for public figures. At work, at school, you can be bullied, you can be badgered, you can be bruised at home. And so how do you handle criticism? When someone makes an accusation about you or against you, is chattering, how do you deal with it? How do you respond? Do you react immediately? Is that your first thing? Do you lash out in anger? Do you get even? Fight power with power? Do you go and gossip about the critic and get back to them in that way, behind their back? Do you wait patiently, try to represent your critic fairly or, or respond carefully? Do you shut down when you hear criticism? Um, You know, sometimes we can do some of these, sometimes we can do all of these, and sometimes we can do none of these. And because of that today, I want to focus on how the Apostle Paul responded to criticism and how he avoided falling into the same devil's trap like his critics. Okay? 
um, to digest this because it's, a, it's a 18 verses. Uh, in chapter 10, I'm going to fo- focus on just the four criticisms that Paul had to hear and Paul had to respond to. So the first thing people said about him is that he's a chicken. <laughs> that that just, like, brings you to the playground, right? You're a chicken. The second thing people said about him is he's a flake. Um, now that one, you've got to be a little older. That's like teen, maybe college. Ah, college students, they're the worst, you know. Uh, third thing he said, uh, he's only a second-rate church member. Okay, now you're, you're family life. <laughs> you're not showing up because your kids are sick. You must be second-rate. Um, fourth thing people said about him, he's a second-rate church uh, Christian leader. Hey, the pastor right here is crying on Sunday morning. I guess I'm second-rate. Okay. Um, but to really uh, help us get our blood boiling this morning the way criticism does, I thought um, we, we need to hear this a little bit differently. Um, because kind of like, you know, Batman, the, 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 the old Batman, I forget the actor's name, Adam something. Adam West, thank you for reminding me. Adam West, those ones. You remember the cheesy, like, bang, pow, whack, smack, right? It's reading a comic. That's exactly it. That's how criticism feels, right? It attacks us out of nowhere. It's like boom, 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 whack, right? You feel that ever? You are a chicken. You are a flake. You are a second-rate church member. You are a church-rate, a second-rate church member. A Christian leader. How do you feel now? Happy? <laughs> feel good? No. Oh, that's what criticism does, right? It breaks you down. It, it pulls you. It nags you. And your adrenal glands, right, when I, with, with that accusatory tone, right, with my finger pointing at myself, at, at everybody, how does that feel? I mean, for me, first of all, I'm like, <gasps> like, you know, it's like all of a sudden you turn into the Hulk. You ready? Like, let's go. So the first attack Paul faced, you're a chicken. The first nine chapters of this letter, uh, Paul focused on the Corinthians' relationship with them. He shifts his tone like how dads shift their tone, you know, for discipline. They bring out that dad voice. The dad voice. Lion King people? Anybody Lion King person? Simba. (laughs) Or Daniel's dog. (laughs) Simba. Um, but that's the you know, kind of voice of correction, voice of rebuke. So Paul changes his tone. Um, so uh, you know, go back to the earlier parts if you want something uh, a little less dramatic here. Uh, but this is what Paul does. He changes his tone. So verse 1, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I am humble when face to face with you, but bold when I am away. So his first appeal here isn't that he's an apostle. He doesn't run to his office. Uh, you know where he runs? Where does he hide? Where does he go? He goes to that rock of ages, that cleft of the rock. He goes and he runs right to Jesus for this. To the meekness and the, and the gentleness of Jesus is where he finds his consolation. Not, not his office, but, but Jesus is first. He was not like men today who look up by men, I mean men and women. I mean people. It's an old way of saying it. People. All, all people. All of us look up to presidents who have raw power. We look at the CEOs who control the dollar bill from boardrooms. 
We look up to those with influence. Not Paul. Paul here, he looks not up. Wow, what an amazing chapel. Wow. But down at the cross. That's where he's going. Down at a Savior who was crucified for him. Down at a Savior who bled for him. At the foot of the cross is his power. And so he responds to the first attack. His fire, the first fiery dart is just flung right at him. And this is how he responds. With the only defense any Christian has. Jesus. Jesus. One church leader in, in what we now call uh, modern-day Germany, uh, this writer wrote a hymn, you may be familiar with it, called uh, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Anybody know that one? Um, it was the song that my, my unbelieving grandfather requested at my believing grandmother's funeral. He wanted a mighty fortress to be sung. Interesting. And so as we sing in that service, one little word shall fell him. Christ Jesus, it is he, right? Running to Jesus. Take that devil. It's the first against the first accusation. Paul's accused of being a chicken. When you're right and you're one way and in person you're different, they conclude, they're slandering him in his absence behind his back. They're thinking Paul must be a chicken because he's only one way in writing, but in person he's different, verses 1 and 10. Verse 10, he actually quotes his critics. So, Benita, could you pull up verse 10? And they say this, For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. That's a quotation of his critics. Direct quote of what was going on about him. Ah, but says Paul, not his office, but Jesus. But Jesus. Ah, says Paul, but my Lord was gentle and meek. He runs to the Gospels, back to the Gospels, what we read, Jesus as gentle and meek. I follow him, and I want you to imitate this way and not the way of the evil one, which is flexing muscles, becoming a hulk to take down strongholds, right? Asserting self, promoting self, pulling out the biggest weapons you have. But Paul says, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to what? Tear down strongholds. Destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take what? Every thought captive to whom? To Christ. To obey Christ. So Satan is the one prowling around like a a roaring lion. And and what that actually looks like, um, it's not just something, you know, I mean, that's a metaphor, right? He's not actually literally like a lion that's going to come you know, Nietzsche right now. I mean, unless you're in certain parts of the world, and I don't know. But right here, right, a lion's not going to come out and attack you right, right now. Um, but what it looks like is the church reflecting the world in all the ways that we relate to one another and to other people who are outside of the church. That's what it looks like. So it looks like people tearing each other down in, in, in relationships and in internal communications and on social media, blaring each other, blasting each other. It looks exactly like the political bullying that we actually see and hear every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, through all of the different medium forms that we listen to, right? Except it's coming from the same source. And that same source isn't necessarily all of that. Like, that's the problem. 
It's coming from here. Sin. Sin is the problem. Sin in our hearts. Taken to the extreme by the devil. Satan loves extremes. He gets his jollies off radicals on the left and radicals on the right, blaring at each other, separating groups, saying us, them. So there's no communication whatsoever. Keeps people from talking. And the church should be different, but it can't possibly be different until we stop playing by the devil's rules and we beat him at his silly little game, not by playing by those rules, but by actually destroying him with the game that Jesus played with him. The cross. Where all earthly powers have been overthrown, this place of weakness is our strength. Kneel there at the cross and we can watch God work. (laughs) Try to stand. Try to lash out. Try to do all the things that we naturally go to as our defense mechanisms. And we'll watch our brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers fall down with us. That's the first attack. Second attack, you're a flake. Paul's accused of being a flake. Waffly, wishy-washy, you are a flake. Verse 2, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. A lot of people today like Jesus one way and not another. And, will, and, and hate him if he's any different anyway, Right? So, for example, uh, a long time ago, I watched a movie called The Legend of Ricky Bobby. It's a really serious film. Uh, for those not picking up, I'm just being satire, uh, satire. It's not a serious movie. I'm not recommending it either um, now. But I, it was way before I was a pastor when I watched it, so whatever. Um, so, <laughs> uh, In that movie, there's this scene with a family at the dinner table. You know what I'm talking about if you've seen it. And uh, they're, all, they're all picking up, um, you know, they're about to pray before their meal. We should pray. It's the right thing to do. Let's pray before our meal, right? Um, and so they, they choose the kind of Jesus that they like to worship. You remember that? And uh, one of them goes, you know, I like, you know, dear six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. Remember that one? And then another one goes, um, well, I like, my Jesus likes to party, something along those lines, right? Um, and well, the thing is, it, <laughs> to worship Jesus one way and not take him as a whole is to worship a different Jesus, Right? Like, we have to take him as he is. I'm going to explain that a little bit more in a second. But Tim Keller, former pastor of Redeemer New York, once said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. The Jesus who was meek and mild was also the Jesus who flipped tables over at the religious leaders who are making profit off the people's backs. The Jesus who was gentle also said some pretty hard and intolerant-sounding stuff that doesn't really sound that great. And so we have to take Jesus at his whole word, right, in the Bible, not just the parts we like. Um, Let me tell you, I don't need to worship a God who is just like me. If I worship a God who is just like me and fits everything and never makes me mad or, like, confuses, you know, makes me, like, never challenges me, I'm really just worshiping me. And I do that pretty well. I can worship me 
you know? I, I'm the best at agreeing with myself. Are you pretty good at agreeing with yourself too, right? What we need is a different word, a different way of relating in this world, telling us not who we are in ourselves, or in myself, and uh, selfie self, um, but who I am in Christ, and it's that word that makes me able to love people who are not like me and who are different from me. And so Paul's attacked for being wishy-washy, a flake. If you heard one of the earlier ser- sermons uh, in this series um, from me or, 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 or um, uh, Bob or Adam, um, I want to um, uh, recommend that you, uh, can, you can go online to redemptionsd.com and, and, and listen to those um, for volunteers, especially necessary. Uh, we have some people in nursery right now who uh, are probably not able to really listen to the sermon, right? So it's a great way for them to catch up. Um, Now, Paul wasn't a flake. That charge came, and it was maintained about him by people who didn't know him up close because he was the target. Paul planted Corinth, but many um, new people came, and and when he left to plant the church, um, while he was gone, clever speakers came in, people trained in public speaking, uh, people who were really, really good at preaching but were never appointed, called, chosen, ordained, installed, uh, all, uh, whatever, placed in this particular area of labor, right? That was Paul's place of labor. He planted Corinth, and others kind of came in as wolves. And they won audiences, and they wowed people and wooed people because they were flashy to get the praise of people. You know what they didn't have? They didn't have the praise of God, <laughs> So God doesn't like this, neither does Paul. And so he defends against his attack by saying, you'll soon know the truth when we come to meet you. Which is why he says, verse 6, ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Verse 6. I realize I've had a lot of movie quotes, but can I just do one more? Uh, It's kind of like Leonidas. The great Spartan king, you can just get the comic book, actually. Um, But uh, the great Spartan warrior, or you could read the histories, if you're into actually learning, not Hollywood's versions or other people's versions, fiction. Um, The great Spartan king, though, you know, says says when when armies are are assembling um, and and he's under threat and uh, definite defeat, he's like, come and get them. You know, he's like, ready, like, come after me. Like, ugh. Like, so, so, so he's like that, and yet he's not like that because he's still gentle and meek like Jesus. And so when he shows up, the attackers don't stand a chance because they're still self-appointed. They're not called by Jesus to plant that church, and even if they were called to plant churches, they were not called to labor in that church. So in time, you'll see, Paul says. Third attack, you're a second-class church member. That's the next thing they say. The idea of something that is second class means that we're less valuable, right? We're not as good. We're less valuable than others. It's like coming in second place in a race. Nobody remembers second. Like Ricky Bobby, his daddy, he once said this wise thing, saying, if you're not first, you're last. Remember that one? (laughs) Oh, man. And what this means is that People were saying that Paul's participation and membership in this church was lacking. He was too busy. He's not available uh, for what I want right now. So he must not be as active as the rest of us. Again, the devil loves to go to extremes. 
creates this, you're the other, I hate you. And he loves to put us against them, and that's his tactic. And don't be fooled by those tactics. The same critics who use Paul's unavailability to position themselves as humble servants, willing and ready to help whenever needed, were just that. They were basically hirelings. And so how does he respond to his attack? Verse 7, he says, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. (laughs) We're church members too, right? Piggybacking on Jesus, right? When Jesus said, uh, take the log or the plank out of your own eye. If you truly belong to Jesus, you'll see, you'll know I'm his, his also. We're knit together not by blood, not by argument, not by political party, not by association, not by we were buddies a long, long time, but by baptism, marked by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, by God in Jesus. That's what we share together. John 10, my sheep hear my voice. You know a sheep because when the pressure's on, sheep will huddle together. They do. Wolves will start biting like crazy, and uh, they'll try to get their wolf friends and try to take down those sheep, right? This attack comes at him because he's whispering. uh, They're they're whispering behind his back. And man, uh, this one hurts. Gossip will ruin a church and... and and stop us from uh, effectively and, and, and carefully ministering to those in need. And so we have to remember that our identity is in Jesus, first and foremost. And when we disagree with somebody else or uh, decisions, uh, we have to check ourselves and go, ah, yes, but this disagreement between us does not nullify the true unity that I have with my brother or my sister in Jesus Christ. And there are a lot of German theologians I'm quoting right now. So, I don't know. I, I'm German, so I guess part, partially German. Whatever. Um, but one uh, German theologian who died under the Third Reich while resisting its evil, he once said this, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. Meditate on that one. Redemption Church, I've been called to be uh, lead pastor of this church, uh, but as an ordained minister and pastor of this church, uh, like you, I am a person. And you're seeing that on display this morning when I'm like uncontrollably weeping here and there, right? People do that sometimes, right? Jesus wept. So if you have a problem with weeping... Jesus wept. <laughs> Remember that. He was truly human. But I'm a person. Is there anybody familiar with the book? It's a children's book. It's called Everybody Poops. <laughs> anybody? Yeah? A couple people. There's like, all right, parents, any parents out here? You got to get your kid that book. That's a good one. <laughs> So it talks about animals pooping, and, you know, I'm not going to spoil the whole thing, right? (laughs) And it's a crack-up. Pun intended, yeah. Um, Dad joke. But uh, 
Any kids love that one in this church? Any of your kids love that? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, good. It's so funny. Um, so get that for Christmas. Um, but uh, as you can imagine, it talks about all these different animals and people who, uh, in the whole world, and the one thing we all do is we all poop. <laughs> it's the one thing that unites us. <laughs> Everything else divides us. <laughs> Anyways, so I'm a pastor and I poop too. <laughs> Did this morning. <laughs> It's a really silly way to say it. It's embarrassingly silly. Uh, But I'm human just like you. And you are human just like me. There's no us versus them in this. (laughs) So I wake up. I have a routine like you. Uh, Usually our routine is scrambling for coffee. Whichever one of us has to wake up with the kids first in the morning, it's like, coffee. Like, don't trip. Don't fall. Like, don't slam something. Just get the coffee. Hurry. Get recharged. Wake up. Um... We have normally daily routines. You know, we eat, uh, poop, sleep, um, all that, just like you. Uh, so remember that with one another. Remember that with each other every day in this church. Show people love. Be kind. Yes, that's law. That's law. But the gospel pushes us to consider that law, does it? So you're a chicken, you're a flake, a second-class church member, And the final blow against him is this. This is the last attack. Paul, or you, you're a second-class Christian leader. This one's found in verse 12. Uh, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. It's actually a pretty nice way of saying that there, uh, there are a lot of other words to say that he could have used. So that's a nice way to put it. This attack meant that the same people who swooped in to woo and wow were constantly bragging about how much they were doing and how they were doing it to people. And how much better they were at doing it than Paul. What do you need when you apply for a job? Usually. I mean, unless you know somebody, I guess. But what do you usually need? You need a job application and you need a what? Resume, right. So um, resume is what you need. <laughs> um, and references. You need references. That's oh, another thing. So a letter of recommendation certainly helps in job application situations, right? Um, well, Paul points out how silly that attack is because... Um, It would be like a person who wrote a resume for a job and then also wrote their recommendation letters and all of their own references and forged all of those things, right? Which is pretty shady. (laughs) And that's that's exactly what these, um, what he calls super apostles in the next chapter. Um, That's what they were doing. They were commending themselves. And so Paul's calling this to the carpet. He's calling it out. And um, I don't want to focus all the way on this uh, today because next week is all about that. Um, in chapter 11, it's all about boasting, and I'm going to focus on that next week. But I really wanted to deal with criticism in, in very helpful ways this morning and to really reflect and digest that for us. Um, so community groups, um, you're going to have a lot to talk about with this one. Um, Verse 18, for it's not the one who commends himself who's approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. 
And so I want to end and, and turn our focus now to Paul's response to all of these criticisms uh, for, for, for this morning. Um, because all four of these attacks, yes, they all have real opponents, flesh and blood opponents, um, all of his critics, um, but they come from the same place. They come from the accuser of the brethren. The devil is his name. Satan is his name. I'm saying that over and over again because this week has been, I think it's appropriate to say this, and I don't say it lightly, this week has been hellish for us. In more ways than what I highlighted at the beginning of the sermon. But he has many names in the whole Bible, so you can look them up. He's referred to as liar, but he's not just a liar, he's a murderer. And he is exactly why a young man in ministry ended up doing what happened last week. He's at work behind all that. But God's at work. And so before you're frightened by the words devil or Satan or accuser or all of those things, we have nothing, absolutely nothing to be afraid of. Amen? I'm getting some amens. Can I get a real amen? Amen, because what? One little word shall what? Fell him. What's that word? Jesus. Jesus will absolutely fell him, not because he's going to fell him. He already did, decisively and definitively, at the cross. He did. Man. So before you're frightened, remember that the devil is God's devil. Some Martin Luther put it, another German. There you go. The devil is God's devil. He has no power over death for anyone who trusts in Jesus. Even death can't hold us down because Christ is risen. And a lot of people will refuse, even a lot of Presbyterian ministers, will refuse to talk about angels and demons today. It's not rational, people will say. But the Christian church for 2,000 years has always talked about the spiritual. And just because it wasn't cool in the modern age doesn't make it untrue. We have actually lost our imagination. We don't have one anymore. And we don't understand these things not because we think too much, but we think too little. C.S. Lewis once said, God wants a child's heart in a grown-up's head. Right? A child's heart in a grown-up's head. Um, Just yesterday... um, you know, I, was, I went outside and was playing with um, uh, my sons, and, and they had some, some friends over, um, and, and we were, um, <laughs> so great. There's a spaceship up there. Oh, look, it's in our yard, right? Adults, there's no spaceship up there. What are you guys talking about? You're crazy people. Like, what are you doing? Child goes, there's a spaceship up there. I see it. Oh, oh, look, we're walking. Oh, ow. Ow, I hit, you know, I hit the spaceship because it landed in our yard, right? That's the imagination. It's thinking in different ways, right? Um, so children are, are so sweet. They're, you know, they're firing off, um, exploring the world, making all kinds of connections between fiction and reality and exploring and using that imagination, which God delights in. He wants a child's heart and an adult's head. And so we've been talking about the devil a lot. 
because I want you to be prepared to face him when he rears his ugly heads in all the different ways with all the different attacks and criticisms and discouragements and frightening night terrors and whatever else is flung at you, okay? The reason, that's why I'm bringing this up because I want you to know how to handle that and how to take that discouragement and how to take cruel injustices when you see it. Because we never meet and face the devil alone. We always meet him together with, in, and through Jesus Christ. The Christ who was forsaken by God on the cross, left as an abandoned orphan, dropped off in a garbage dumpster at Golgotha, taken out of the glorious city of David to be outside of a city that was trash and waste, tossed by an unwanted culture, discarded by the religious leaders too. And he did all of that so that we would never be left nor forsaken. How does that make you feel? By trusting in Jesus. That feels a lot better than that criticism. (laughs) Because Jesus bore that accusation, all of that accusation, and he hung on the cross for you. So you can say, take that devil. Because Jesus gave his best. I'll end with this. The thing about finding your identity in Christ is this very thing. To everyone who hears nasty, vile, plaguing, polarizing, destructive, brutal, not just truth, but sees it and experiences it, good for nothing, criticisms, Jesus Christ stands as the one who was accused And on that cross, he secured no condemnation for those who are in Christ Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means nothing. No criticism can befall you. And so, if today you find yourself trusting in Jesus, you've repented of your sins, of the many times that we have accused people in all four of these ways. Listing through, I mean... It's like, yep, I've done that one. Yep, I did that one. Yep, I did that one this morning. Yep, I did this. I want to do this one right now. Right? Tempted. Tried. But in Christ, you're no longer afflicted. You're no longer accused. Because of him, you're not a chicken. You're not a flake. You're not a second-rate church member. You're not a second-rate Christian leader. But you are first-rate in all of those things. Because he has done it. Let's pray.